I tried to work with boards, tried to work with schools to talk about, you can be diverse and not change standards. There's something about our history. Sounds like it's mysterious, but our history has made it seem like (laughs) if you have kids of color, black kids, Latino kids, some mixed kids, then you're lowering your standards. And it's just so not true. There's a bigger picture. If you are educating boards as to what, what the full picture looks like, then you know that you can have an inclusive community with all kids who are bringing so much to the table. But if we keep admissions with one or two check boxes of what kids have to jump through to get in, then we're keeping the same kids going to private schools. The big question, how quickly can brands and businesses change and modernize in response to the changing demographics globally? The future of work, demand for modernizing the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and industry corrections. This is why we started the Change Podcast by Reframe, to help people leaders like you get answers that accelerate inclusive change and growth that reflects where the world is going. Get ready as we host a discussion with people leaders faced with the same challenges and modernize their approach to solving a decades-old problem. I'm your host, Jeffrey L. Bowman. The United States Supreme Court decision and the industry correction heard around the world. In this episode, we go outside the lines to unpack what this means to corporate America. In the third episode, we interview Linda Talton and Wendy Wilkerson at School First. We talk about their journey and how the United States Supreme Court decision impacts private and public educational institutions. For many educational systems with emissions-based decisions based on racial, ethnic, and identity narratives now have to move beyond the narratives and move towards attitude and behavior-based outcomes. What are the implications? Get ready as we host a discussion with people leaders faced with the same challenges and modernize their approach to solving a decades-old problem. I'm your host, Jeffrey L. Bowman. Join us and subscribe via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And let's get started. Linda and Wendy, welcome to the Change Podcast by Reframe. We're happy to have you and glad you're making the time uh, to join us. A lot of things that have happened within the world as it relates to schools and kids. And we wanted to take the opportunity to uh, invite a couple guests that specialize in providing access and a pathway for for all kids who want to enter um, schools, private schools. And so we'd like to, we invited School First. And for those who don't know School First, uh, these are the the, the co-presidents of, of School First. And um, we really wanted to take an opportunity to talk about change. Uh, a lot of is happening in the world that relates to change, uh, specifically within our, our educational institutions. And so why not invite uh, two experts uh, to talk about the changes happening 
uh, within uh, schools. Uh, and so before we jump in, a lot of times what we do with the Change Podcast is really take everyone through in terms of like, who are you? How did you get here? And what are the things that, that drew you to this industry? So I would like to first ask if you could introduce yourselves to the audience and whoever chooses to go first. Just talk a bit about, um, you know, your background, your journey, and and how you got into the practice that you are, and, and provide a little bit of education in terms of who school first is. I'm Linda Talton. I have been working in education for oof, 30, over 30 <laughs> years. I started in, uh, my father started a preschool, actually a Trinity Preschool of Wall Street 35 years ago. I started there and I have tried to escape education for many years and I keep coming back. I got into admission because I was a kindergarten teacher at Trinity, I mean at Cathedral School, sorry, um, in Manhattan, St. John the Divine. And as a kindergarten teacher, I had to do assessments. And so that led me, my interest into admission and how are we choosing these kids and how come these kids are disappearing that I thought were so great. And so that's how I got into the admission world. And I've lived in different cities, San Francisco, worked at two schools in San Francisco as director of admission, one school here in New York City, and decided that I liked all of the things about admission that were the hand-holding piece, all the hand-holding pieces, you know, not about throwing the events and sort of bragging about my school, but making sure that I had a really good experience while going through the process. Um, and particularly, I was always connecting admission to inclusion work. Right? Um, so like, how are we, that's the fun thing about admission for me is you're building community. You literally, admission is the heartbeat of the school. And you know, you're just working with teachers and administrators and prospective parents and current parents and prospective students and current students. So I just... My conversations with parents really, no matter where they were from or what walks of life they came from, was really about like creating an inclusive experience for, for their for their kids. So and here I am. I started school first five years ago. Okay. Before we jump to that, let's oh. Wendy, how did you get involved in helping families and kids? Long time ago as well, over 30 years ago. I started as a, well, actually as an intern in kindergarten and then in fifth grade at the town school for boys in San Francisco. And after I received my master's in counseling, I started, I was the school counselor at Menlo School in Atherton during the dot-com boom. And I found myself in the office with a lot of different kids that weren't fitting in. For whatever reason, they did not feel included on campus. And that wasn't unique to the school I was working at. It was happening in all of our independent schools, be it kids of color, be it kids with so diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, be it LGBTQ kids. And here I was a 25-year-old counselor thinking, what's going on? Why, why can't we help kids feel like they belong in this school? We, we ask them to come. Yeah. And yet they're in my office crying. And here's this preppy white girl from Olympia, Washington, thinking, why am I the one that's supposed to figure this out for them? And that led me to start working with the administration to see what can we do, what needs to happen differently so that all kids are included in schools. And that's when I got into admissions. 
Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I need to figure out how do we do this? So I know we're pick- we are asking the kids who will thrive at our school and building a more diverse community. We'll get to it later of how that's turned out because that was 30 years ago and mm-hmm. we're still looking for that word change. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. But, but I went from being a school counselor to an administrator so I could impact the inclusivity and diversity of the schools. And along, you know, for, for folks who are just joining this conversation, you know, what led you both down the path of public versus private? And what are the differences when you mm. talk about public schools versus private schools? Ooh, that's a good one. For me, I did have a, I grew up going to private school. But what is private school? Private school is an independent school. The language is interchangeable. I think private people who don't know the independent school world connect more to private school. They get that it's a school that you pay tuition to that. And I always say independent means just that you, you know, you you're meeting the same goals as public schools each year, whether you're in third, fourth or fifth grade, but you can be more nuanced in the way that you get to those goals. You get to create curriculum that does you don't have to get permission from the city. You're independent, you know, so also parents have more involvement and more of a voice in independent schools, class sizes. Who are, much. Who are the parents that chooses? Who are the parents? Profile of parents that typically choose independent, private versus public. I think it's all over the place. I think it's families. parents. Yeah, I think it's families who can afford it. Families like me who grew up going to private school who want that same thing for their kids. I think it's parents who have maybe been dismayed by the public school experience that their kids have had and are looking for something different and hear about a thing where maybe my child could have a smaller class size or go to school and be so excited to get there because it's creative. It's more, they tend to be more creative um, environments that don't ask the child to fit in, but they try to sort of meet the child where they are. So that's one thing that's really appealing about um, independent schools. So they're kind of, I, I will say because there are many ways to attend uh, independent school, whether you're paying full price or you have tuition assistance. Because of that, they are pretty diverse spaces. Wendy, is there anything you want to add to it? I mean, I, I would say I went into my master's thinking I would be working in public schools. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't, I was 25 and I thought I didn't want to go serve very wealthy families. I wanted to work with a wider variety and more organic community. And I was in San Francisco, California at the time. And literally the year I graduated is when um, I actually wanted to work in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. All the school counselors were laid off and they were hiring security instead. And that just broke my heart. And I took the job that I could get. There were no public school counseling positions. And that's when I got into the independent school world. And and then having kids, I've that had kids in both public right? and private. It changes everything, but I've had kids I've, had, I've left private school to go to public school with my, my son and he had better experience. So it's really about the individual and what school district you're in and what are the, where do you have access and what, what does your child need? Mm-hmm. So for some, it could be yeah. the neighborhood school. And mm-hmm. for a lot, especially post-pandemic, what independent schools can do for individual kids. It's not equitable for all kids, unfortunately. There's only 10% of our country goes to independent schools, but what they can offer is unique. Last question before we jump into a little bit more about school first. So, you know, as you know, this podcast is about change. And and so when did independent schools or private schools, 
you know, for again, a little brief history snapshot for the folks that are kind of new to this conversation. When did it change in terms of public versus private or private versus public? Like when, what's kind of a little tidbit of history in terms of how the, the schools come into fruition? When did private schools come into fruition? They've always been an option for wealthy families. Wealthy families. Wealthy white families. Yeah. And wealthy actually, and actually public <laughs> schools were actually started by uh, former, former enslaved people who decided that they wanted to uh, give their kids an education that they had been denied and had been denied. And literally right after slavery, they started popping up. These churches started popping up with these schoolhouses. And that's really how public school um, came, came to be. Outstanding. Public. Hmm? So I, I'm trying, because I was going through a totally different direction. So I want to make oh. sure we're coming together too. <laughs> but, it's, but both is true, right? I mean, private schools were founded to feed Harvard and Yale by wealthy white families to be mm. excluded. And then they started popping up more when segregation ended and people were forcing kids. And then a lot of white people were saying, oh no, we're going to the private schools that were mm -hmm. based, they were created to be exclusive. Yeah. Exclusively for the rich and white. Most, I would most. say about 30, 30 years ago when yeah. people started realizing that 20 to 30 years ago, that we're smarter when we're all together, when we're learning from each other. And there's a diverse perspective in each classroom, but that has been a slow change. But yeah, I mean, I think small houses, I'm, I'm trying to um, combine, Linda, what you were saying, certain populations had to build their own because there weren't education, there wasn't education available. Seems, there yeah. was none, there was zero, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and it's funny because we have this conversation all the time and we go to these conferences, particularly POCC, People of Color Conference, which is a conference that's put on by the National Association of Independent Schools every year. And it was started, oh, what, 35 years ago to create a space for people of color who work in independent schools to come together and, you know, learn about how they sort of how to reach, stay in these spaces that they didn't really feel comfortable in. It was really kind of cathartic space that was created for um, people Amazing. of color. We talk all the time about how we're been, we've been forcing ourselves into these institutions as people of color because they really were built to get away from us, um, right. not to include us. So it's an exclusive mechanism. So yeah. How did school first start and how did you guys meet and, and when did you guys decide to come together and start school first? Okay. Uh, well, Wendy and I have known each other since we lived in the Bay Area together. I worked at San Francisco Day, and she was at San Francisco School, I think. School, yeah. And we were both we were both directors of admission, and uh, I needed her because I was new to the area, and she had children, and I had a child, and I needed a I needed people. So somebody introduced <laughs> Wendy and I, and we've been friends ever since. And I feel like that was probably like sixteen or seventeen years ago. And we've all we always have had the same lens when it comes to admission and building community. Um, so it was really organic and it felt really right when Wendy approached me a year and a half or so ago, almost two years ago now, and asked if she could join school first. And I was excited. And she's only served to grow the energy around school first. So I'm so excited to have had her join me. And, and what exactly is School First? School First is an admission consulting um, placement firm. So we help families to navigate the admission process. And we work with many cities around the country. I feel like in the next couple of years, we'll probably say that we work with every city in the country. It gets back to your handholding. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's the fun part. We get to have we love having the meetings with the families and creating school lists and helping them with their applications and then helping them with the decisions finally in the end of the process. But hand, hand holding the entire way through. And Wendy, what made you decide to make the jump over to school first? When, yeah. And you just like what school were you at at the time? You know, what yeah. the things you'd seen in terms of your career that made you want to say, hey, I think I want to do this. Interesting. So I was at National Cathedral School. It's an all-girls school in Washington, D.C. Loved my nine years there. It was pretty incredible. And coming from Oakland, California, I was surprised that I found this um, well-known, much more traditional school that I was used to. So amazing. Like, I just fell in love with it. But a lot of it was they brought me in because they, the board asked to be get somebody who would assertively help the school become more diverse. And that is what I had been doing in my schools is trying to change culture by changing the demographics of the schools, which I love doing. After my nine years, I saw the difference go from 37% kids of color to 48, 49%, which shifts the feel on campus. And then I kept listening to the conversations, and this is not NCS, this is all of our independent schools. The conversations were happening that were very similar to conversations after 30 years that we were having back in the Bay Area. People, why are they keep touching my hair? Why am I not in the AP classes? And and that was frustrating to me. I thought, what have I done? I've spent 30 years in in these communities trying to impact change. And yes, they look different, but are they different? And I, I wasn't sure. And I felt like maybe I need to move out of the way. Maybe other people who have different experience and different backgrounds and different education can come in and affect bigger change. I brought people in. Now what? And I, I felt like use my skills to the best of my ability. I'm going to go try something different. And yeah. that's when I connected with Linda and said, what do you want to do? So in addition to helping families find the right schools, we also help schools audit and look at what they're doing, either in the admissions process or as well as the inclusivity process. And we want to, we want to make sure that when we're sending kids to that school, they're going to be seen. I don't care if that means because they're neurodiverse or because they're low income or because they're African-American or because they're mixed or whatever it is. I am not going to send a kid somewhere unless I feel really confident that people are going to love on that kid and bring out the best in that child. So let's impact. Let's unpack that a little bit in terms of sounds like both of you recognize and have seen opportunities with independent school and private. And the solve was integrating the schools more. And as you work with multiple schools in different places and regions, you know. What's the difference between integrating and actually changing uh, the environment for schools? Huge difference. Like, and this is, I'll piggyback off what Wendy said is because I would do a lot of what I thought was change and work through the lens of admission. You know, I have events for families of color who are applying so that they could see how included they'd be in the community for LGBTQIA families so they could see that. And it's, you can put them in, just like Wendy said, the numbers are growing, 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 but we're not changing. So they still feel like they're not included. This is still not an inclusive community. And I started this work at cathedral school, creating affinity groups 
25 years ago. Where? Where's Cathedral School in New York City, uh, St. John the Divine. And we were so innovative with these affinity groups so we could create space for kids to get together and talk amongst themselves who had, you know, who had things in common, whether it was race, adopted families, everything. And we're still, there's still pushback. And, it, and it's not always vocal, but it feels... From who, though? Uh, administration, parents, other mm -hmm. parents, teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then COVID happened. <laughs> you know, yes. What role did COVID play in terms of helping or accelerating change, or did schools actually change? I was a lead administrator in schools during Black Lives Matter movement, and any named school that was pretty well known ended up having an account about them called Black At. There's and there are some schools that were founded on integration and founded on bringing these kids, these families together. And administrators were hearing some really hard things that span from 1966 to 2020. And when Black Lives Matter, um, these accounts are coming out. And that's, I think people are saying, oh, oh, wait, but we're so different now. And yet kids that are in oh, the I schools see. in 2020 were saying, I've, I'm saying this, and then another alum would say, that's exactly how I felt. That's hard to hear as administrator because it's not the pushback for us nice, polite, white people that we think we are, right? I mean, we, we, there's a lot of educators, white educators, who really have the intention of making change and making it really good for everybody. Change or integration? We think it's change because we've changed. We are like, oh, look at how diverse our school is. And I like all these people. It's well intended. It doesn't impact the chain, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's where that is where it gets really hard. How you know I I was a lead administrator and with lead administrators of color, and we're all like, why haven't we been able to impact mm -hmm. the change that we really got into this work for? Why is it it's different, but not as different, and it's not as inclusive. It's not as the it's not everyone. It's equal, it's not equitable hmm. in some ways. Oftentimes it's not even equal. But, you know, in our best case scenario, it's as equal as we can possibly be, but are we really equitable? Are we really serving every single individual in the way that will bring yeah. out that best in them? I don't right. know. And all the money we've thrown at doing this diversity work in schools. And I have like every year when I'm listening to these girls who are in private school crying about their experience because they don't feel included. And literally 30 years ago, diversity wasn't even a word that was used to describe people when I was in private school. <laughs> but yeah. I, 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 could, I could share stories with them. 30 years later, we have the same stories. And all we've, we've done, we think we've done a lot of work, um, just growing numbers, but we're they just have another person to talk to who's and, in their same boat. And so with the recent Supreme Court decision at the <laughs> college level, with primarily, you know, the, the Ivy schools in terms of race-based outcomes not being a thing legally um, from an admission standpoint, uh, how does this play into your world and and i think we all know eventually it'll get down to k through 12 so 
What are your observations? Is there a point of view in terms of how that decision impacts what we already know uh, wasn't really changing, but it was actually integrating? So now with that decision, how difficult does it make it for families as well as the institutions? Uh, I think that, well, I'll start here. When I communicate with schools about a child that I want to see if they have space for or um, what are the possibilities that they're getting in. Nowadays, I really get the question of like, tell me a little bit about this family. So I'm free to talk about the family in every way. You know, oh, uh, he's a child of color, he's black or he's Asian or his, he has two moms or two dads and I can do that. I know that the affirmative action is, you know, strictly about race. I wonder how those conversations are going to go. I mean, I think they're between whom from, from me and the directors of admission at the schools who are able to speak freely about race because they are still in the same space that Wendy and I were in, in our schools over the years saying, okay, well, we don't have, you know, we need to grow our numbers in, in terms of kids of color and diverse families and all, and what all that, that means. Um, gender, socioeconomic. So I don't know. I think that it hasn't happened yet, but it's happening. And I said that when I when I wrote our the, our statement about um, affirmative action is that we've always been sort of held accountable by higher ed and independent schools. You know, it's uh, them creating diversity and writing papers about how kids cannot learn in an echo chamber. All that trickled down to independent schools. So I. I'm curious to find out what uh, that looks like for us moving forward. We're just embarking on a journey that is nerve-wracking in some ways. Yeah, and, and yeah. Wendy, what are you seeing in terms yeah. of your observations as well? Well, you know, I, I was living in Oakland when um, UC Berkeley or the UCs had to let go of race-based um, admission. And, and what I have tried to do in, in learning through that process and seeing the incredible impact it had on what used yeah. to be the most diverse public school in our country. And it is one of the least diverse now. Um, I think that it's something like UC 2%. Berkeley. UC Berkeley, yeah. UC Berkeley. And I watched it. I was next to it. I saw it. And I, I it feels different as a community as you go on campus. And so what I, in my 20 years since then, around 20 years, I tried to work with boards, tried to work with schools to talk about, you can be diverse and not change standards. And that's, there's something about our history, not something that sounds like it's mysterious, but our history <laughs> has made it seem like <laughs> if you have kids of color, black kids, Latino kids, some mixed kids, then you're lowering your standards. And it's just so not true. There's a bigger picture. And, and if you are educating boards as to what, what the full picture looks like, then you know that you can have an inclusive community with all kids who are bringing so much to the table. But if we keep admissions with one or two check boxes of what kids have to jump through to get in, then we're keeping the same kids going to private schools right. because the private schools were meant for a certain population. Right. And we haven't really changed. COVID's helped us change some of the admissions process right. just because it had to. Not not for 
philosophical reasons, but we had to for mm-hmm. ease uh, availability. But um, there's a lot we can we can look at to see wh- how do we keep building an inclusive or begin building a more inclusive mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's going to take some creativity and really hard work and some serious look at who we are. So as an independent school. So in that sense, I mean, now more than ever, these institutions, as well as families, they're actually going to really have to change. And and in your observation, we'll talk a bit about the partnership that we've formed. A lot of times, the, the barriers are within how they're structured lack of strategy or supplementing strategy or or creating a strategy the systems that they have in place partners meaning solutions and really just understanding families diverse families of who they are and their needs can you guys speak to that a little bit in terms of like the barriers that the institutions have had historically this decision and what do they now need to do to change so that they do reflect, uh, I, I like to call it the new majority, the future of school, the future of, of how we now create an environment that reflects the way that the rail will look over the next you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about our partnership with Reframe because I feel like just speaking to George Floyd, and I want to get back to the strategy piece, but I feel like we're having the conversation just more and louder. It's more and louder. I don't <laughs> think that it's uh, it's any different. This conversation hasn't changed. It's just gotten to be like one that we need to have and to have more often. We need to form this committee and that committee and meet in the evenings and have a potluck. And so that's it is lack of strategy. I always say, and I've said this to every single head of school I've ever worked for. These teachers are afraid. They're afraid to speak. They don't want to misspeak. You know, this country has created a system where we're afraid to have real dialogue. And so in that, we're stuck. And so that's why that's where the systems piece comes in. The systems have to change. Otherwise, we're just going to get even louder. And not and changes is not going to happen. It, it just it's like we need to almost break it down to build it back up, and, and a lot of that work is work we need to do within ourselves, but really the institution because it's not the individuals, it's the system. And, and may may I add? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yes, yes, I was going to ask I, you. I, I, I was just thinking two things, right? I think the reason a lot a lot of change hasn't happened is because what I started with is that these schools are founded on exclusivity and, and those are hard things to change on your foundations, not just, yeah. And I think people are very afraid that if we're talking diversity, we're not talking about every kid. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're talking about a population. We're not talking about every single Precisely. student in the school. That's right. And that gets really yeah. nerve wracking, particularly to board members who typically represent those kids that we apparently aren't talking about when we're talking about diversity. Right. So to be blunt, the white kids. Okay, so we're talking about diversity. So we're not talking about what our white kids, but I'm paying $50,000 maybe for my kid too. Where is my kid fitting in on this? Does that mean some kids benefit and some kids have to lose because we're doing this work? 
if we're doing this work well, it should be that every single kid we're, t- we're teaching, we're working in a way that every single kid benefits. The second thing I would say is some people might watch this and say, oh, there are those woke folks again. Here we go Can't again. Can't stand that word. Yeah. But right. And here we go again. And what does this mean? If you care about your school, sustainability wise, if you look at statistics, just what you were referring to, Jeffrey, across the country, over 50% of the applicants in private school are families of color. And we're just, so that's just talking about families of color. We're not talking about LGBTQ families. We're not talking about adopted kids. We're not talking about all the other diversity that we want to talk about. But that is just, if you want to be a sustainable private school, you can't be exclusive. Towards people of color, your school will close because the applications, Mm -hmm. because of the population change, that is just happening in our country. As much as we, some may want to fight that, that is just fact. Surreal. Statistically evidence supported. And so how do we change that every kid should be included? Look, I don't want one six-year-old boy not included just because he's wealthy and white, but I also want to make sure that every single kid is looked at and seen and see how that every individual kid is brought into the community in a really thoughtful, intellectual way. And it, can I just say one more thing of speaking to boards, because the boards are so powerful in independent schools, and we sleep on that, because you think about the head of school, right? And that's what you would think of as, when, if you go to public school, you'll think of the principal, but then you have to think about the superintendent, and then the school board. The board at an independent school is has loud voices, and make, you know, so the work that I hope to do with uh, reframe is to bring the, the board in with the administration. That work they have to also be a part of that uh, change. Yeah. So, news alert for those who didn't catch it: um, Reframe is partnering with School First, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, for some of those who haven't seen uh, the press release uh, that uh, it's gone out, you know when. You know, when we started this podcast, we we didn't want to make this like an advertising uh, platform, but more of talk to what we call people leaders who are making an impact by accelerating inclusive change and growth. And so we wanted to use, you know, this episode to highlight uh, what we call an emerging industry vertical, meaning that when you look at a lot of our experiences, they've been big corporate brands and businesses. What we always pride ourselves is that we didn't want to like create this company just to, you know, do another version of DNI. We wanted to be innovative and we wanted to productize our change operating system and then you know, expand it into other industries and categories, not by ourselves, but through partners, or what we call channel partnerships. And so when the Supreme Court decision happened, you know, we knew we had something special. We just needed a partner to help us land and navigate it to make impact the same way that we've made impact with large, big brands. And, and so when we got together with School First, what was really impressive was, was like how Wendy and Linda came together to help solve a decades-old problem in terms of admissions and helping families navigate it, as you just heard. And now with this partnership, the goal would be like, you know, in the corporate side, we say, how do you take it upstream? And upstream is like the board, the admissions, as well as heads of schools. 
And so I firmly believe a lot of the things that we've developed is scalable and it's applicable across other industries. But what we want to do with this partnership is, is partner to land in a space uh, as a parent of, of two kids from independent schools, private schools. There's always been the issue, but now there's a solve for it. And, and that's what we like to use the last 10 minutes to, to talk a little bit about in terms of my experience with independent and private schools is that just like corporate, they think they're doing the, the right thing by doing the integration piece, but they really haven't had a full-on blonde transformation conversation in terms of change. So the first thing that we're going to do collaboratively is introduce the Reframe Culture Maturity Assessment Tool. And so as we spent months trying to make sure that we were using the right language, to introduce this, can you both talk a little bit about in terms of, you know, how now having that assessment tool can be impactful for independent and private schools to understand the level of change readiness? Can you guys speak to that? Well, I can, I want to go, if I could, a little bit beyond the assessment tool, because I think the assessment tool is key for our conversation to begin. In independent schools, we've had several assessment tools. Okay. Over the years, right? I know everybody knows AIM and um, there's a few others. I can't think of the name what of them right AIM now. For the people that, that are not familiar with it, what is it? Uh, so AIM is a tool that you use to sort of assess your, um, really it's, it is based on DEI work. It is about like how inclusive are you being? What are your numbers like um, about your curriculum? It's like a full overhaul and like how you need to change, sort of like when you have to do accreditation each year. It's like a diversity accreditation where the pe you, people come in and look around and see what you're doing right and what you need to work on. But I feel like very much the difference of reframe is that I've been at schools where that AIM assessment goes in the shelf, goes on the shelf or not. It's kind of up oh, to the school the because it's too much. It's a lot of work. It's like we're and then it's also I don't know that the right people are in on the conversation. I think some people are being left out of the conversation so that it's easy to sort of set that thing aside because you know what, we have to get the math done. We have to, <laughs> we have, we have a new uh, green space that we're working on right now. Right. So I, that the difference I think is beyond, um, I love the mini assessment um, with reframe, but I also love the idea of reframe coming in and partnering with the schools to support the work because like I said in the last with the last question is that it's fear and we we, we don't know what to do schools don't know what to do it's mm -hmm. frightening gotcha gotcha and Wendy what's your vision for the impact that you wanted to make yeah well I was excited to learn what you what reframe does Jeffrey thank you for because you do come in with assessment but it's different it's a different kind of assessment and one, the mini one is, is very accessible. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super important for schools just to get a sense of where are they, but through a lens of someone different, not we're a little bit of everybody's been in education or independent schools. 90% of us has pretty much only been in independent schools. Right. And what an impact, what a difference it makes when we just change schools. I mean, I've gone to schools and suddenly there people are like, you're brilliant. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just copying whatever everybody was doing over there. Right. Thanks, I'll take right. it, except I'm not yes. that brilliant. That we so keep true. doing best practices. There's nothing wrong with the best practices. These schools are phenomenal. Best practices at what? We haven't found a best practice of, of 
real change for equity and inclusivity because our country is far from figuring that out. But what I like about Reframe is it's it's been, you've been working with a wide breadth of kinds of organizations and impacting change. So yeah, if somebody looks on your website and they're like, you've been working with, I'm making something up. Give me a company that everybody would know. Jeffrey, I don't want to make one up. Please. Verizon, Wyndham, Prudential United. <laughs> there just, you go. There you go. See, right? I mean, school yeah. heads, we would, if I just brought that and showed them right. that, look at what they've done. They're like, what? That has nothing to do with us. Yeah, we're yeah. not connected. That's to not that. going to help us. Yeah. Hence why and we yet, need a partner. Right. Except that, exactly. except that you're making change in a way bigger yeah. organization that has a way more hierarchical system. Yeah, and it's 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 impacting change, and then you move over into the arts world. Has <laughs> nothing to do with our world. I mean, kind of sort of. Forgive me. I I don't mean that. We have tons <laughs> of art happening in our schools, and it's fabulous. But the way our our organizations run are very different than independent schools. <laughs> with that said, you are proving to impact the change. And to be honest, I'm like, just give me change. Let's try something different. Let's not hire other people who've been working in independent schools for 20 years oh. to help us keep moving forward. Because if if that is what it meant to be an expert, I would be the best darn, I, well, Lynn and I would be the experts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we left the schools because we felt like we were not the experts. Right. We don't have the answers we believe schools need. And yet we still really want to help impact the change. Right. So that's why we're reaching, we're, we're trying to reach across and say, Jeffrey, give us something unique. You're using technology. You're using yep. very different cha- different change results that I think is worth us taking a very good look at and, and deepening our cultures. No, no, we're, we're really excited about the, the partnership and the opportunity. You know, I think the macro pieces are applicable, whether it's education, public and private you know, brands or businesses that, you know, demographic shift is happening, future of work, and in some cases, the what we call industry correction. You think about Supreme Court decision, that's an industry. Yeah. In terms of how now you just, it's, it's trickling down to corporations in terms of how they procure goods and services from minority-owned suppliers. So these are things that are not going away. And like I said, we're excited to enter this, what we call you know, our corporate talk, this industry vertical in terms of um, private education. And so with the last few minutes that we do have, uh, if you are someone, it's a parent um, who you know, is a part of a private and independent school community, if you are an administrator uh, for private and an independent school, if you are um, an admissions um, professional, how do they, where do they start with school first? Meaning where do they go to like get in contact with you? How, if they want to learn more about uh, the mini assessment, where should they go? Wendy, you want to take this? Sure. I believe, I mean, the easiest is is go to school first, schoolfirstnyc.com. Um, and it's NYC because it was founded by Linda um, in New York. And we have expanded across, kind of across the globe. But mm-hmm. we will work with schools anywhere who are ready 
mm-hmm. just because you're making a statement that you're really, really wanting to make some real changes. Um, we also know that after COVID, schools are exhausted. Yeah. Educators are exhausted. We're not saying we're going to add on 800 new things that you have to do now on top of what you're doing. It's really assessing and looking at how we can make the best practices happen for every single student more precise on your campus right um and and so if you are wanting to find out more just take the mini assessment yeah it's free easy part yeah Yeah. and it's fast see where your school is because i tell you i a couple you know a couple schools ago i would have been like we've got this we're in the bay area we know (laughs) right i say new york city too so progressive Mm-hmm. Right, we we got this, and then you look at it, and you're like, oh, we yeah. have things to learn, right. and that's okay. That's I hope we all want to learn. We're in education, but yeah. yeah. So go to our website under schools. You will see a link to the mini assessment through that's school first and reframe working together to really help schools change. Beautiful, beautiful. And Linda, is there anything else you want to add before we close out here? Um, I would just add that we, you and I talk about New York City and places where we've worked and you have, we both had the Bay Area, UFDC, LA, everywhere. But I feel like, you know, we go to enough conferences where we talk to enough people from the Midwest, the South, right? Everywhere. The boarding schools that are in New England. Mm-hmm. And we're having the same conversations with everyone, no matter where you are. So we, we and, and we all recognize that we need change. That's a common thread of a conversation for the past 30 plus years that you and I have worked in schools. Before we sign off, I'd like to say, you know, I think it was really important for the listeners and audience, audience members that are not as familiar uh, with how independent and, and, and private schools form and then listening to your journeys as you guys have now spent you know, 20 plus years and, you know, the question begins to say, you know, have, have you know, given all the, the work that's been done, your observations, has anything really changed? And you jumped out and Linda, you started school first. Wendy came along, you guys are, you know, doing a lot of great work with admissions. Now moving into this new space of adding services to your current offering as it relates to change, as it relates to change management, you know, really admirable. These are the types of conversations that we want to have on the Change Podcast by Reframe. So we really appreciate your time, effort, and look forward to working with you in the future. Yay, thank you. Can't wait. We're excited too. Thank you. People leaders out there listening or watching, Thank you again for investing your time with me today. So I hope this episode was valuable to you. And if you are a new people leader listening or watching, thank you for tuning in for the first time. And don't forget, you can find all of the resources, links, and show notes at getreframe.com forward slash podcast.